Hello, everyone, and welcome to Insight Peterborough, a project of the Canadian Council of the Blind, Peterborough Chapter. And uh, if you want to learn more about the uh, CCB Peterborough Chapter, um, today you'll have uh, an extra benefit because uh, in a little while we're going to have Leslie Yee, who is the chair of uh, our local chapter, but normally what you would need to do is um, email ccbpeterborough at gmail.com and, uh, and then you can find out all sorts of answers to questions and that sort of thing. Um, we do have a, a co-host, he is not here at the moment, named uh, Bob Chrysler. Um, I'm sure he's either on his way or um, uh, taken up doing other things. But uh, anyway, we'll carry on. And uh, today we have Dr. Warren Ball from the uh, Peterborough Regional Health uh, Foundation to uh, talk to us about the current fundraiser that's, that's happening. Hi, Dr. Ball. How are you? I'm great, Devin. Thanks for having me. Hi, Devin. Oh, nice you could be here, and we do have Bob with us. Have a seat there, Bob. We're going to be talking about the uh, current fundraiser, um, which is to raise money for the purchase of a <coughs> cardiac catheterization unit. But um, before we talk about what that is and what it does and that sort of thing, uh, the word cardiac suggests that uh, we're going to be uh, talking about the, the heart. So can we kind of start um, um, back before somebody would uh, maybe need the catheterization unit? And um, uh, you often hear commercials or public service announcements on television especially about um, uh, signs of a, a heart attack. Can we start by asking you, what is a heart attack? Absolutely. I think that's the critical piece in the whole chain of events is recognizing your symptoms and getting yourself to urgent medical attention. Uh, so when most people say the word heart attack or think about that, uh, what you're really thinking about is that you've got a, a blood clot or a critical cholesterol atherosclerotic plaque buildup that is impairing blood flow to your heart. And as it sounds, with that impaired blood flow, the heart is not getting enough oxygen and heart muscles dying. So if you're actually having a heart attack, time is critical. Our favorite uh, phrase in the cath lab is time is muscle. So if heart muscle is dying, the sooner you get to medical attention and have that process stopped, the less permanent heart muscle damage you'll have. Now, um, a lot of people don't go to the hospital uh, when they should. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a recent incident that, uh, that happened uh, with me, and um, maybe you can kind of uh, build on that and, and tell us what I could have done, should have done. As it turned out, it was fine. Um, I woke up one morning and, and went to move, and I had a, a dull ache in the uh, the chest there and uh, and then I, I I lay there for a minute and thought hmm wonder what that's all about and then I remembered that 
that e- or the evening prior uh, to that uh, day, I had been bent over outside picking up after my guide dog Frankie, and he had pulled to uh, and managed to go to uh, see another dog. So uh, it kind of I thought, well, then the thought came to me, well, perhaps I've. I've pulled a, a muscle, and I guess, as it turned out, I didn't go to the hospital because it wasn't a horrible pain. Um, and within a couple of days, it had fixed itself. So what should my thought process have been? No, I mean, I think your thought process is is quite understandable. That's what most people would, would think in that circumstance. And it can be quite challenging to know when is this a heart attack or when is this heartburn or when is it just a pulled muscle because all those things are possible right so mm-hmm. I mean, in your case you had an event that was linked to that it would make sense that it may be a pulled muscle and giving it some time to get better is reasonable you know i think sometimes it might depend on how severe the pain is right if you're in agony you can't walk and you're also <clears throat> huffing and puffing you can't breathe if you're sweating profusely you know, those extra signs and symptoms would probably, hopefully, make you wonder, this is more than just a pulled muscle. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably should have this checked out. Worst case, you know, nobody wants to go to the hospital and you, you feel stupid, You, which no one is going to think in the emergency department. But that's what I think patients at home think. I don't want to be told that was nothing. Why did you waste our time? You hear the emergency departments are overflowing with patients. They're too busy. You're going to wait for hours and hours all that is true, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is getting you the right care at the right time, right? So mm-hmm. all, you know, how long you're going to wait or what people are going to think of you comes secondary. You know, if you think that this is not just a pulled muscle, I've had those before, this is, you know, three times worse, that's when you need to go and have your symptoms checked out. Right. And they won't think any at the hospital. They won't think any less of you if you uh, if you come in and it's only a pulled muscle. No, I mean think about the other the other way around. That you sit at home for twenty four hours and things get worse and worse, and you finally go into the hospital, and then the blood tests show that was a massive heart attack. <laughs> now you're thinking, you know, cripes, I should have been there twenty four hours ago. There may be permanent heart muscle damage that I can't change. And, you know, people are also wondering, well, why didn't you come in before? Well, you know, I thought it was a pulled muscle. We, you know, we hear that all the time. Yes. And the trick is, you know, not everyone's body reads the textbook, right? So the medical student textbook says the classic signs and symptoms of a heart attack are pressure in the center of your chest. It might feel like a belt squeezing your chest or squeezing around the bra line for women. Mm-hmm. And that discomfort may radiate up to the jaw, to the teeth, and even classically down the left arm. Mm-hmm. But not everyone has the classic symptoms. And some people, there's no discomfort in the chest. It's a bit lower down. It feels like burning. They swear it's just heartburn. Um, and some people, it goes down both arms. And some people, it's only in the jaw and the left wrist. It's not in the chest at all. Wow. So everyone can be variable, and that makes it challenge, more challenging for patients. And, you know, here all these atypical symptoms, you know, it happens in men as well, but it's even more common to have unusual presentations of heart attack in women than in men. So women, in a way, need to be extra cognizant of the fact that they, you know, if something's not right, I should get checked out. 
Uh, can nausea be one of the symptoms? For sure. So people, in addition to having chest discomfort, short of breath, or sweating profusely, many are nauseated. Some are even, frankly, vomiting. Um, so that can all go along with it as well. But in some people, they say, hey, well, I'm just, I ate something wrong. But, you know, your point about the, you know, I pulled a muscle is particularly relevant at this time of year, right? We get a yeah. heavy snowfall. People are shoveling snow, and they're thinking, well, I'm not used to that. So either during the shoveling, their chest starts aching, or they go in from shoveling 20 centimeters of snow, and then their chest is aching, and it's easy for them to say, well, that's just because I was doing a lot of work I'm not used to. Mm -hmm. But again, if it doesn't go away and it's more severe than previous pulled muscles, you know, you need to get checked out. And the way to do that is to call 911, uh, not to drive yourself into the hospital. Right. Uh, did you have a question, Bob? How about gas? You know, it might be just gas. Absolutely. So, I mean, it could be pulled muscle. It could, in truth, be uh, an ulcer in the stomach or heartburn. You know, and there's three main arteries in your heart. The right coronary artery, the one that goes to the back of the heart, kind of classically often presents sounding like a GI symptom. So heartburn, nausea, vomiting, you know, even less so the classic symptoms. So, you know, if you're belching and having gas, that doesn't rule it out from being the heart. You should still think about it, right. especially if you've like, well, I've never had gas before. Mm -hmm. I've never had heartburn before. Why is it starting now? Yeah, that should cross your mind. Why now? Yeah. My uh, doctor, uh, at least every once in a while, sends me for ultrasound for heart. Uh, is that a normal procedure? Yeah. So we talked about the signs and symptoms of a heart attack. The flip side is some people present in a more slow and steady fashion, right? So some people can have angina. Angina really just means discomfort in the chest that you get when you walk, and it goes away when you stop, and it comes back when you walk. So if you can all imagine the pipes in your house, as the cholesterol plaque buildup gets tighter and tighter, and once it exceeds 75 or 80 percent, then every time you walk and exert yourself, the heart doesn't get enough oxygen. It kind of gives you a little message, an ache in the chest or ache in the jaw, slow down, stop what you're doing, and within a couple minutes, the symptoms go away. So some people present that way with more slow symptoms. I used to be able to walk three blocks. Now I can only walk two before I get this funny sensation in my chest. Now I can only walk one, so it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So that's another symptom that may prompt you just to go and see your family doctor, and they may refer you to see a cardiologist. When you go to see a cardiologist, or your family doctor may order the tests ahead of time, there's different tests they'll order. One of them might be an echocardiogram, which would be an ultrasound of your heart. So that looks to see if there's been any damage to your heart. So if you showed up a week after that severe chest discomfort that you had, Devin, and they were kind of concerned that you may have had a heart attack, mm -hmm. they might do an ultrasound to see if there's been damage to your heart. And that ultrasound can also look at the valves to make sure the valves in your heart aren't leaky or they aren't narrow, because those can cause some similar symptoms or reduce your exercise capacity. We also, you know, most of what we do in the cath lab is looking at the plumbing, ah. looking at the arteries, but some of the valve patients also need to be assessed to help decide when it's time for open heart surgery or valve replacement. So uh, they talk about on television, especially uh, during uh, commercials about aspirin, uh, that um, taking a couple of uh, 
baby aspirin while you're waiting or whatever is a good idea. What is uh, your thought on that? Oh, absolutely. And the first thing the EMS will do when they come to your house if you're having chest pain is they will give you two baby aspirin to chew. So if you do think you're having a heart attack, taking aspirin, whether it's a baby 81 milligrams that you can chew, or whether it's taking, if all you have on the shelf is a 325, then taking aspirin, uh, the sooner the better, is great. And the harm in that is going to be uh, very, very low if it's not your heart. Now, I uh, was on a baby aspirin a day for quite a while, and um, a doctor said to me, get off it and get off it now. So if you don't have documented coronary artery disease, whether you take it for primary prevention is debatable, and the, and the studies have gone back and forth over the years, right? The benefit is that it may reduce the chance of, of a heart attack, but there is harm in taking anything every day for the rest of your life. The downside of aspirin, of course, would be that it can cause irritation in the stomach, cause an ulcer, increase your chance for bleeding. So each individual, along with their doctors, should assess their benefit and risk, right? So if you've got a lot of risk factors, you smoke, you're diabetic, you don't exercise, you're overweight, have high blood pressure, your lipids are high, and you've got a strong family history, you know, every brother and uncle in your family has had a heart attack by the time they're 45, mm -hmm. then in you, the, the benefit might outweigh that small risk. Whereas if you're healthy, have none of those risk factors, taking an aspirin every day may be more harmful than beneficial. Ah, okay. Okay, so we've uh, gotten the, the person to decide uh, that uh, pain is in the chest is enough to go to the hospital. Um, once uh, they get there, what happens then? So if you come into the hospital, the hospital will do blood tests as well as a 12-lead electrocardiogram or ECG. So the ECG uh, can often show signs of a heart attack. Uh, and for that matter, if you call the ambulance, which is the preferred way to get to the hospital, uh, if you're having chest pain right then and there in your bedroom, the ambulance would do an ECG in your house. Huh? If the artery is 100% blocked and you're having a heart attack right there on the spot, the ECG often shows telltale signs that show this is a heart attack. We call that a STEMI, which stands for ST segment elevation myocardial infarction. So so, so when, you, when you're having a STEMI, is the lingo we use in the hospital, the EMS can see that in your home. That's why you call them. You don't drive yourself in. And they call ahead to the hospital. And the nurses and doctors, if it's after hours, we drive in while the ambulance drives in, right? Time is muscle. The sooner we can open that 100% blocked artery, the better. Mm -hmm. So they can diagnose that. And you actually, then you would skip the eMERGE. You come directly up to my colleagues and I in the cardiac cath lab, we open the artery with a balloon, put in a stent, stop the heart attack. You feel better. We've saved some heart muscle. So that's the benefit of calling 911 is you can skip the whole eMERGE process if it's a critical event like that. Yeah. Now, if it's not 100% blocked, it might be 95 98%. The ECG won't show that. So the ECG can show some subtle signs, or then they'll do two sets of blood tests, three hours apart in the eMERGE. And if the cardiac enzymes called troponin are elevated, that shows that something is causing stress on your heart. Most commonly, that means a heart attack. And then you'd be kept, and you'd see the cardiologist and discuss whether an angiogram is the best way to go to 
make the diagnosis and potentially fix a problem. Okay. All this right. That's where uh, training makes the difference, obviously. Mm. Yeah, so the years of training and experience that the emergency room doctors and the paramedics have is critical to starting that whole process, process off and making the diagnosis in the first place. So then you were talking about the cardiac catheterization unit, uh, which is what you are, um, the foundation is raising funds for. Uh, first of all, maybe I could ask you, how expensive is one of those? <clears throat> Uh, I'm not privy to the exact dollars, but <clears throat> to to replace uh, both cath labs, which is the current uh, goal and need, unfortunately, uh, is certainly in excess in the millions of dollars. Um, you know, so just like your old cell phone, uh, technology fortunately improves and can take leaps and bounds forward. So we've been blessed with our current cardiac cath labs uh, that were installed probably in 2007 for when the hospital opened in 2008. So they're, they're now 12 years old, right? So imagine using an old 12-year-old cell phone technology, yeah. things change. So, uh, you know, newer systems benefit patients and the doctors treating them. So the newer systems allow us to take higher resolution pictures faster and with less radiation exposure to the patients and the healthcare team uh, to allow us to diagnose and treat those blockages uh, that are so critical to your health. Okay. Um, so as, as technology ages, uh, it stops working and we need to uh, replace it, uh, which is the current need. So the projection is in the next uh, couple of years that we both are, we have two cath labs uh, that both would benefit from being upgraded to uh, continue the excellent care that we've been blessed to be able to give here in Peterborough. Otherwise, uh, we'd have to go out of town Correct. If so we didn't have one here. Yeah. So as as many of your listeners are probably aware, uh, it's re it's really through the huge generosity of the entire region. This is a regional cath lab that provides cardiac services, right from Minden, Halliburton, Bancroft, down through Lindsay, Campbellford, and Coburg, as well as of course the Peterborough area. So it really supplies a big region. And it was back in the year two thousand that really the f that community fundraised to have the original cath lab here in Peterborough to do diagnostic angiograms. From 2000 to, through 2012, we could diagnose the problem, but we didn't yet have approval from the ministry to treat the problem and put in stents. Uh -huh. So fortunately, in 2012, we were given permission to start doing angioplasty and do, putting in stents to save you from having to travel for the fix. So uh, without the cath labs here, then there'd be longer waiting lists to get into Toronto or Kingston or even further away in Ottawa. Um, so obviously I think, uh, you know, patients have benefited from having one-stop shopping where you can have the diagnosis made and often we treat it right there on the spot, same procedure. So it saves you from coming back a second time. You know, obviously saves you and your loved ones from having to travel to Toronto and deal with traffic and stay overnight in a hotel, that's a nuisance. Mm -hmm. you know, but the biggest benefit is those patients having the acute heart attack, right? Time is muscle. We used to give clot-busting drugs up in this area because Toronto was a long way away. Clot-busting drugs, when there's 100% blockage, work probably two times out of three. Huh. But that's still one time out of three patients. The clot-busting drugs don't work. The artery is still 100% blocked. And then you're being shipped with that 100% blocked artery all the way to Toronto, while more heart muscles dying along the trip. So they get you there, open it to save what we can, but obviously doing that close to home 
and minimizing heart muscle damage is critical to, uh, you know, you and your loved one's uh, heart muscle function. Yeah. Is there any um, explanation as to why the heart, uh, the clot-busting drug mm. doesn't work from time to time? I mean, some of it depends on how long the clot's been there for. Mm -hmm. If the clot, clot has been formed for hours, you know, 8 hours, 12 hours, uh, then clot-busting drugs aren't designed to do that, and they don't work well. The bonds in the clot are too hard to break up. Mm. Um, so obviously, the earlier you present, the higher chance that a clot-busting drug would work, and even the higher chance that the doctor's going to open it up quicker. But sometimes it's going to be just bad luck. You need to have some blood flow there to deliver the drugs. And if there's no flow to the blocked artery, you can't even deliver the drug. That's true. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, that Is makes sense. Is the uh, government sort of uh, helpful mm. with uh, your process there? Or do you find them stalling and waiting and all that? No, so I mean, obviously, uh, we're blessed that the ministry allowed us to start doing angioplasty here in 2012, mm. um, so we can bring this excellent care close to home. You know, and by having these high-level facilities, these cath labs that can do angioplasty and stents and, you know, rotoblader to drill out arteries when they're tough to treat, you know, that great equipment also allows us to recruit the best and brightest train physicians to come here in Peterborough so that yeah. we have the best people here to treat uh, all of our listeners. Um, you know, so the government is great in allowing this. You know, unfortunately, uh, not just healthcare, but many different areas in the province are suffering from a lack of funds. Uh, you know, there's only so much money to go around, uh, which is why we're uh, blessed to be, to be uh, aided by the generous donors in the community, which never fails to ama amaze me um, what the donors been able to do, not just for the cardiac program, but for all the programs at PRHC. Uh, we certainly have been blessed with the generosity of the community. Um, and that's not in, uh, PRHC isn't unique that way, but healthcare in every hospital throughout the province, uh, unfortunately, is reliant on the community to help support them to bring excellent care. Uh, whatever parties in government, there's only so much money to go around, unfortunately. I think that we're very happy to have you in Peterborough, Doctor. Thank you. It's, it's, been a it's been a pleasure being here uh, since the program started in 2012. So uh, when you uh, do angioplasty or an angiogram or whatever, that's when uh, you would um, uh, find a, an artery uh, either in the arm or in the leg to put in the, uh, the catheter. Is that right? Yeah. So typically probably in about... Uh, 70 to 80% of patients, we go up through the radial artery in the wrist. The little artery, you can probably feel your pulse just uh, below your thumb. Mm -hmm. um, in 20% of people who have different anatomy or some patients who've had bypass surgery, we still go up through the femoral artery at the very top of the leg, right in the groin crease. Um, so we go up through the arm or the leg and put catheters up to the heart. You mostly just feel the freezing, like a freezing needle, like one of the dentist, mm -hmm. where the tube goes in in the wrist of the leg. The catheter is going up to the heart. You often don't feel. There's no nerves on the inside of the blood vessels. Uh, and then when we inject dye down the arteries, and the, the cath lab equipment we use is really fluoroscopy. It's an X-ray movie so that uh, we can see where the dye goes and where it doesn't go. Uh, so we can diagnose those blockages and then decide, is it suitable to treat with angioplasty and stents? Or in some cases, patients still need to have bypass surgery. Okay. And uh, do you have to stay in hospital after 
um, the clot has been dealt with. Uh, so if you come in just having angina, come in from your home and need a stent, then often we open the blockage of the balloon in a stent, we watch it for five hours, and you go home the same day. If you've come in with a very baby heart attack, then we often keep you overnight and you go home at first thing the next morning. If you've come in with one of those major STEMI heart attacks that I described earlier, then typically you're in hospital for a minimum of 48 hours, sometimes 72 or 96, for monitoring, mm -hmm. adding other medications in to help the heart muscle heal and recover, and just to make sure things go smoothly and get you back on your feet. And then there's a rehab program after a major heart attack, is there? Yeah, absolutely. So all the heart attack patients will be offered cardiac rehab, which gives them a lot of education to teach them about the new medications they may be on, teaches them about the disease, because this is probably a shock and come out of the blue to most people. Yeah. Um, can talk about lifestyle changes and help them with things like smoking cessation, help them with dietary changes. And then obviously part of the rehab is getting them back in an exercise program to get them fit and strong again. And obviously to build a lifelong pattern of exercise to hopefully prevent the next heart attack from coming. Right. So now if somebody would like to donate, and hopefully there will be people out there, because after all, the uh, um, our donations benefit the hospital, but uh, the hospital is of a major benefit to uh, all of us, or can, can be, certainly, if you need it. And uh, so how... Do people go about making uh, a donation? Uh, the team at the PRHC Foundation will be grateful for any help that uh, your listeners would be willing to contribute. Um, so they can be contacted at the hospital. Uh, there's obviously email and website or, or phone numbers. Uh, so any help is always appreciated for sure. All right. Terrific. Um, and uh, those are those uh, catheterization units are millions of dollars. So um, uh, any generosity would be great. <laughs> so um, is there anything else that we uh, should have been touching on? No, I think we appreciate the opportunity. I think the most important thing is to, as you pointed out, recognize the signs and symptoms of a heart attack and get to get to hospital quickly, call 911. Don't drive yourself in. Don't have your loved ones drive yourself in uh, if you're having chest pain. Uh, and get checked out because uh, time is muscle. And uh, unfortunately, the heart, if it's damaged, doesn't regenerate. Yeah, that's interesting to know too. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much for uh, coming to chat with us and explain um, you know, what a, a heart attack might uh, uh, feel like and uh, what symptoms you might um, notice and that sort of thing, and then what the uh, catheterization unit is all about. We really appreciate you coming in. Anytime, Devin. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay. And we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Warren Ball, who is a cardiologist here in town, and uh, he's been talking to us about the... Um, cardiac catheterization um, units that the uh, PRHC would like to purchase um, when sufficient money is on hand. Uh, we're going to be uh, talking about White Cane Week uh, with uh, the chair of uh, CCB, 
Canadian Council of the Blind, and uh, that's Leslie Yee. Um, however, uh, Bob, we have a song uh, that we need to play, um, and it's called White Cane Day, and it was... Um, it was... I'm just trying to remember the year. But anyway, um, a few years ago, and it, it was uh, done by some... Uh, people in New Zealand. Uh, unfortunately, there's no Canadian uh, equivalent, but um, uh, while we get uh, Leslie in here and her guide dog, um, uh, we'll, we'll play that. And thanks so much, Dr. Ball, for coming. Have a great day. You too. Okay, uh, and as far as I understand, the uh, people who sang that were um, students from New Zealand, and uh, uh, one of them wrote the song, and uh, it was called White Cane Day. <laughs> uh, so during the song, Dr. Ball has uh, left us, and uh, we now have Leslie Yi and her guide dog Akira. Leslie is the chair of the Peterborough chapter of CCB, and she's certainly no stranger to the show. Hi there, Leslie. <laughs> Hi, Devin. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Good. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, well, anytime. And uh, you've met Bob, uh, our co host. Hi, Bob. Yeah. yeah. Usually uh, they get to meet uh, the guest before. The show, but um, you know things happen, so <laughs> we're kind of doing it on the fly today. 
So anyway, um, February 2nd to 8th is White Cane Week, and it's been going for a number of years. And it was initiated by the Canadian Council of the Blind. So, Leslie, can we start talking about, by talking about what the CCB is and how it uh, differs uh, from CNIB? Sure. So the CC, so let's start with the CNIB. So the CNIB is uh, now Vision Rehabilitation Services. They are, there's two sides of them. There's that and then there's a foundation side. So the Vision Rehab side is now, they go through um, the health system. So your doctor can recommend you for services with the Vision Rehabilitation. And they get a lot of their their funding from um, I, I I'm assuming I don't know for sure, but through the government assist and also through your health card and your your health services. They also have their foundation side, which is things like peer support groups and working with the volunteers, vision mates, and that part is completely private funded. So that is that that used to be what all of the CNIB was. And it's now, it's across Canada. They have offices um, throughout Canada, basically in all the major cities anyways. And then the Canadian Council of the Blind, we've been in existence for the same amount of time as the CNIB. In fact, originally the two groups were together as one and ended up separating. And the what the CCB is about is each city are our own members create the chapters. So it's a lot of uh, social and peer support groups together. We completely set our own mandate as far as the things that we would like to do together socially, whether it's playing cards in an afternoon or doing an outing or going to the theater. It's what our group would like to do and how our group would like to interact within its own community. So those would be the kind of the main differences between the two groups. I remember last April we went to uh, we had a day long trip to uh, Campbellford and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. So we all know that one of the biggest obstacles for persons with vision loss is transportation, and it's great in the city in one sense because we do have public transit. We have taxis, and taxis can get expensive though, and we have our handy van service. But it's really hard to get outside of the city sometimes and can be quite costly if you wanted to do that on a semi-regular basis. So, yeah, by organizing um, a group with our sighted volunteers as drivers, we were able to do a really fun day out in Campbellford. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Now, can uh, anyone with a visual impairment be a, a member of uh, CCB? Absolutely, yes. So uh, anyone who is even a self-described person with vision loss. So you don't have to have letters from the doctor to be part of our group. You don't have to, you know, show us any specialty reports or anything like that. You just need to want to... Um, socialize and be part of a group to learn more about vision loss or to meet other people with vision loss or to help contribute if you wish to other people with vision loss so yes you anybody can join 
And also, I think you mentioned, too, that we have volunteers. We do, yes. So we have uh, sighted volunteers who come to our meetings. Some come to our meetings, some come out to just events, but they all um, want to help out in some way. So they offer whatever help that they can, whether it's driving us somewhere or it's helping us get coffee at one of our meetings. So every bit of help is very uh, great. We're very grateful for all of that help. How would a... uh potential uh, volunteer, like a volunteer driver, uh, really uh, get in touch or uh, help out uh, in the long run, put it that way. Yeah, so to to contact us, you can go through our uh, email account, which is ccbpeterborough at gmail.com, or you can um, contact us through our website, which is ccbpeterborough.com. And it's um that you know that way they could reach out to us and we would just in turn get back to them and uh, i always welcome people out to one of our first meetings or maybe our coffee social to meet people and make sure that this is the type of group that they would like to belong to and um ensure that themselves that they would like to to be part of it so aside from the monthly meetings, which take place on the second Thursday of the month, uh, the Thursday morning, what else does uh, CCB do? What other programs do we have? Yeah, so we do every third Thursday, we do a coffee social and we meet at PJ's Diner down at 250 Sherbrooke Street. And uh, we just meet there. We have coffee. We never know how many people are going to come out. It's fun each, <laughs> each month because we, we never know who's going to show up. But it's really just a, a little bit of a peer support. We just get together. We talk to each other. We don't do anything formal. There's no formal minutes or anything like that. It's just a, just a group get together. So we do that on a monthly basis. We have our meetings on a monthly basis. And coming up the first week in February we have White Cane Week which I know we will talk about yes and then we also do uh, or are planning some other events for the year for example another trip to Campbellford Um, we have some guest speakers lined up to come in and talk to us at our monthly meetings about different things Um, and we've got a little bit of a list a wish list let's put it that together of things that we'd like to do over the course of the year And we also have From the Blind for the Blind, eh? Yes, thank you. So From the Blind for the Blind is a lending library of visual aids. So we can reach out to all members of the community. You do not necessarily have to be a member of CCB to be able to get some of the visual aids or to contribute, of course. So if you have visual aids lying around that aren't being used and you'd like them, somebody to use them, we'd be willing to take them in and um, make sure that they get out to somebody who could use that. And also, if you're looking for some visual aids and you're just not sure what you need and you'd like to try out a few things and we have them, we'd be more than happy to let you try them. Make sure it is something that works for you. And in turn, you can either keep that one for a length of time or you might want to turn around and invest in one yourself. That's okay. But it's really nice to be able to try it out for a little while to make sure it is something you can really use. And then... Sorry. And if I just ask, uh, I know that uh, there are audio books and Kindle and Kobo uh, that will read uh, to you. Uh, would that come into play? Absolutely. So um, we do have in our lending library quite a few audio books uh, now that kind of go in and out on a regular basis. And um, when it comes to using things like Audible or um, 
I'm sorry, I've lost my words there, but Audible or any of the online apps, that's something that each person can do individually as well. And we also have SELA through the library. So you can sign up with SELA. Um, that is an original program run, started by the CNIB uh, with the public libraries to have all your books read to you online as well. You mean someone was there to read it to you? No, it's it's a downloadable book, mm. and then it's it's read to you, yeah, that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the books that uh, are in uh, the uh, CCB lending library of equipment would be limited. They're limited, and I believe some of them are on DVDs, some are on CDs, so it depends on what form of... Um, machine you might have in order to play them on. If you're doing a downloadable app on your phone or your iPad, then those you can kind of just set up on your own. And through the nice thing about through the library is those are free downloads as well through the CELA library. Mm. And then, of course, Insight Peterborough is another program. That's right. Yeah, Insight Peterborough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is yeah. also one of our programs for CCB. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Devin. <laughs> So I I understand that White Cane Week um, was originally um, started by um, CCB National? Yes, yes. And it is celebrated right across Canada as well. And hopefully all the chapters are celebrating Mm -hmm. it in some way or form. The idea of White Cane Week is for us to get out to be part of the community and just be there for, to answer questions for people, for people to learn about us, a bit of awareness for what CCB is and what we do, what our own chapter does in our community. Um, and uh, we've got a few things set up uh, during that week as well, That uh, places that we will be at. And what would those be? So on Monday, February 3rd and Tuesday, February 4th, we'll be at Peterborough Square at the top of the escalators right by the McDonald's from 10 till 3. We'll have a table set up there. Uh, We'll have several guide dogs throughout the two days as well with us. So um, everyone is more than welcome to come and talk to us about CCB, our guide dogs, anything they'd like to. Braille, anything. Braille, anything. Yes, no, no question is a bad question. And... We can't be insulted by the questions. No. We try not to be. <laughs> well, in fact, I, for myself, I encourage all those questions. Yes. Because if you don't know, that's when you assume things. And you don't. we don't want people to assume things, really. So on Thursday, February the 6th, and Friday, February the 7th, we will be at the YMCA. On Thursday, it'll be from 2 to 5 in the afternoon. And on Friday, it will be from 9 to 12 in the morning. And we'll be in the main hall at the in the main entrance when you come in, just very close to the receptionist desk. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about the YMCA is we can talk to quite a variety of age ages. So we do get everything from children to seniors that come in the Y. So it'll be nice to be able to talk to anybody about the CCB as well. And then we have one more thing happening that actually I just got confirmation of about two hours ago. (laughs) So Breaking news. Yeah. On Wednesday, February 12th, we will be at Chapters from 11 to 2. And uh, Chapters does a wonderful community outreach program so they'll let us come in and we have a table there and we can talk chat to people about ccb and it's a time i'd love to have some braille books there so we can show people what a braille book is like in comparison to a printed book Mm -hmm. and um 
The proceeds that chapters, uh, well, during the time that we're there, any proceeds um, from books sold um, will be given to CCB. Wow, so a, it's a wonderful fundraiser for idea. us at the same right. time. Right. Yes, yeah. That's really good. Yeah. And so in good. order to do some of these programs, to offer some of these programs, we do need funds, so we appreciate uh, Chapter's uh, generosity, that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. So it sounds like a busy week. Yeah, I think it's going to be a busy week, but it's a good week. Yes. Um, I, I enjoy myself, and I know the volunteers. We've got quite a few of our members coming out to volunteer for all these different times and dates, and everyone loves to talk to the community, and they love to share their stories and talk about CCB and what we do and, and um, how involved we are and would like to be even more involved in the community. So it's a great time to come, if you see us anywhere of these places, uh, it's a great time to come up and just chat with us. Peterborough seems to be uh, really uh, going strong with, uh, you know, features and uh, uh, programs uh, for just about anything that you can think of, whether it's theater, whether it's radio or what have you. Peterborough seems to be the place. It, it's very true, yes. It's a happening city, really. But And I find that uh, everyone loves to be involved in something, which is really good. Yes. And there's a lot of people that like to volunteer and be part of things, and there's a lot of generosity in Peterborough. Definitely. Ve- very much so. So, um, yeah, Peterborough's wonderful for that. They have a really good reputation for that, actually. Yeah. People have referred to Peterborough as being your retirement community, but we're a busy, busy community. Yes, yes, and a generous community. And Definitely. we have all the uh, students for the university and for the college, and we also have uh, people that uh, do actually work in either industry or services in Peterborough. We do have that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then we have very busy seniors. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're one of them there, Debbie. <laughs> um, you and I are. <laughs> Don't count me in too far, then. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that sounds uh, really good. And uh, it's uh, the time that uh, we're going to be at the various booths is uh, a great time to clear up any questions, you know, something you've always wanted to ask but never had the chance, uh, this is the time. That's right. As uh, Leslie says, it's not, uh, if if you don't know the answer, it's not a silly question. That's right. Um, One of the things, uh, uh, Devin, that uh, we're always warned is uh, you don't pet a service dog or you don't Uh, approach a service dog without permission of the owner. How do you go about that? Uh, Well, Leslie, would you like to answer that? Well, my goodness, sure. So, yeah, a lot of people, actually, I find in Peterborough, more and more now, people are asking permission. that If they do wish to, you know, pet Akira, they'll come up and they'll say, oh, your dog looks beautiful. Can I pet him? (laughs) (laughs) But um, so in response, I usually just say, sometimes 
there might be an occasion where I say, yes, right now is a quiet moment or, you know, we're not doing anything and it's a safe place. I'm not in the middle of the street sort of thing. So I might let them give Akira a little pet. But otherwise, I would just say, I'm sorry, he's working. And um, if you don't mind, he gets too excited when strangers pet him. And most people are really gracious with that and, and then step away. They'll often say, oh, they, that's fine. I, I just wanted to ask you know and again there's nothing wrong with asking uh, I think the biggest thing that people don't realize that is the distraction we use our guide dogs are our eyes so any little distraction even getting their eye contact is a distraction it's not just petting them um, it's any form of of distraction is is once their eyes have left the road they're not watching out for us anymore and a lot of people don't quite realize that so um, if they wish to take notice of the dog or they wish to come up and, and they want to ask a question about the dog, just come straight to us. Don't look at the dog. Please don't ask the dog any questions, Please, which happens. Oh, yes. Please don't give the dog directions, which happens. Yes. Just come directly to us and ask us whatever questions they'd like to have. That way we have a chance to stop if we happen to be walking, get our dogs sitting down, and and still because they're in work mode so they're expecting some I can't just stop dead in the middle of the road and expect Akira to know what's going on I have to get him under control and then we can have a chat but don't even get eye contact with the dog and we know how hard that is oh yes our dogs are cute we get that yeah <laughs> we understand and it is really hard not to reach out and pet them but it's it really is important they are our eyes and they are keeping us safe how about uh the interaction perhaps with other dogs hmm so that happens a lot too. Um, Akira's a little over friendly sometimes with other dogs, and but I will feel it in my harness if he's trying <laughs> to pull too hard suddenly, you know, to, to go to something. I'll know he's after a squirrel, a dog. <laughs> yeah, it could be anything. So it's up to me to get him under control. And if you're walking by with a pet dog, um, the best thing you can do is just try to keep your dog perhaps on the other side of you so that the dogs don't pass each other um, side to side. That would be the best thing that you could do. Yeah. What if, say, the dog like our little Dutchie that uh, Devin knows, little Dutchie can bark, has a very sharp bark, he's not a very social dog, and if another dog comes along, well, you never know what's going to happen. Is there... Uh, <laughs> most dogs are on leashes, but not all the time. That's right. And they're supposed to be. Yeah. Even by, in the bylaw of the town, according to the bylaw of the city, dogs are supposed to be on leashes. Yeah. And, and if a stray dog, a dog is not on a leash and they're coming up to our dog, we just have to do our best to try to get the two of us away, safely oh. away. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that, that sounds good. And any of those questions... Um, you know, if you want to talk to us about our dogs, as uh, Leslie said, or, or Braille, and hopefully we'll have, there are various uh, methods of uh, writing in uh, Braille, uh, so hopefully uh, uh, we'll have some uh, devices there. There'll be um, those that belong to 
various members of our club, so it all depends on who is behind the table at the time. But mm -hmm. um, uh, And uh, we'll probably have other technical devices there, and we'll be very happy to share with you how they work and, and that sort of thing. Well, you know, Devin, there's something else. Uh, a number of publications do also provide large print uh, for... Uh, like, for example, I know the Reader's Digest has mm -hmm. done that, uh -huh. and maybe there are others. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm no expert on that, but uh, I know a lot of um, uh, publications provide their uh, magazines, etc., in uh, large print, and a lot of churches have large print hymn books, and uh, mm -hmm. so um, they are trying to accommodate those who are um, what we call partially sighted as well. Vision impairment um, has quite a number of degrees to it, doesn't it, Leslie? Yeah, it does, very much so. So you can have anywhere from low vision to um, legally blind, then to total blindness. So it, it's a huge spectrum of vision, yeah. The great thing when you mentioned about reading material, the great thing about now being able to get things through an app or on a website is you can magnify it on your iPad. For those with low vision, you can magnify it on an iPad or on your computer, like the newspaper. Mm. Yes. You can get that online now and you can magnify it to be able to read it or see some of the pictures. So there's more and more things are becoming accessible, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, you know, uh, Devin, the clock on the wall I know. is moving along. We've only got a couple of minutes here. Yeah. And then wow. guess what? Yes, <laughs> we're out of here. So, Leslie, thanks so much for uh, coming and uh, chatting with us about that. And I know that um, uh, the CCB has uh, a fundraiser uh, in uh, the works, and you'll be back here. You betcha. <laughs> Thanks, Devin. You're looking forward to uh, the 1st of February, that whole week, month, really. Yes, yes, it is the whole month and definitely a solid week of us being uh, out a little bit more in the community. Yeah, so well, Devin, I look think for the us. people are outside waiting to All righty, so we, we better... to say uh, adios for today. We do. Yeah. What, Don't and... ask me about next week right, because that's that. that's in the uh, still in the works. Well, <laughs> all right, but I'm sure that... Take care, everybody, and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye for now.